0: Well, today I want to continue our study. We're going to be in, a, in the book of Revelation again. We're going to continue our study through Revelation of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And if you remember, we, uh, when we started this, John, what happened to John? John sentenced to a solitary confinement on the island of Patmos. And he's on the island of Patmos... And he's there. On what day was he there? Do you guys remember? The Lord's Day. I was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And and so there's this voice from heaven that comes out of, in, in Revelation chapter 1, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me the voice, the loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches of Ephesus and to Smyrna and to... uh, Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned around and I saw the voice that was speaking to me. He saw the God of the universe, and he had this moment of just abject and total worship. He he had nothing other than just to, to fall at his feet. Verse 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, fear not, don't be afraid, we've got some things we've got to write, get up, let's go. And so he's there and he has this isolated moment, but he's not isolated from the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? So this week, I want we're going to look at the church of Pergamum. And I want us to see something that Jesus does in each of the churches. If you notice, in every time he says, this is, this is how he starts out. And he looks at each church and he says to the angel of the church at Thyatira, and to the church of Pergamum, and to the church of Smyrna, and to the church of Ph- all these different things. And he tells them something about himself. He names something about himself in the text and, and then begins to, diagnose what's happening inside of the church. And so I want us to see the first thing there in the church of Pergamum, verse 12 of chapter 2 in Revelation. And the angel of the church in Pergamum write these words, to him who has the sharp edged sword, who has the sharp edged sword, to the one who has the sharp edged sword. He has something to say about himself about even in this moment. And this week, the words of him who has the sharp-edged sword. So God's word, God's mouth, when he speaks, it's like a two-edged sword. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active. So the word of God that you're holding in your hand is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and of the marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like, so God even knows our thoughts and what our heart's intentions are. Verse 13 says, there is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account So, God sees all. God knows all. He knows the intentions of your heart. Even if you say with your mouth one thing, He knows what's really going on inside of your heart. He knows all. We keep nothing hidden from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important that we are quick to repent and turn from our sins. Because God knows our hearts. And if we, if we harbor up bitterness, God knows that. And if we harbor up bitterness, that's going to keep us from having an active and vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think you can hide your sins from God, you're foolishly mistaken. He sees all, knows all. And it is pointless to attempt to play hide and seek with the Lord Jesus Christ. How I many got when you're little? You love to play hide and seek. That was a fun game, right? I loved it too. Some of us try to play hide and seek with the Lord. Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve tried to play hide and seek, and you know they hid. And and Jesus even played in a little bit. Like, hey, where are you? <laughs> he knew. He knew. God knows all things. God's word is a living, active, vibrant document. It is not just some paper. It's not just some book. Just a good book. People say, oh, that's the good old book. No, it's not just a good old book. It is the book. It has the, the theophanouskis. Theo means God. Phanouskis means breathed out. This is God's word breathed out. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our own lives, it is to correct us when we are wrong, and to teach us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip people to do every good work. That's Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen, the New Living Translation. Um, it's a tool. God's Word is a tool that's used. It is a sacred, breathing, living document that is, that is active in our lives. It has power to change hearts. How many of you guys have been changed personally by the power of God's Word? I don't know how God does it, but He uses the Word, and He gets inside of us, and He transforms from the inside out. This is a tool that God uses to convict us and to encourage us. It is a two-edged sword. Romans chapter 1 verses 16 says the gospel has power to save those who believe. So he starts off in the letter and he says this. To the the angel of the church of Pergamum, write this. The words of him who has a sharp edged sword. It's powerful. It's powerful. In fact, go over to Psalms chapter 8. I want you to just look at this. In my my reading, in my study this week, I, I I went to Psalms 8. Psalms 8, this is an absolutely fantastic verse, or chapter. Go to Psalms 8. Not very long at all. Listen to this in Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of your mouth. I'm sorry, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy of the, of the avenger. When I look at the heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man, that you care for Him. Like, what is it about human beings that got, you're so mindful? Why do you care about us? That's what David writes to. He says, Who are we? Who are, the, are we that you care about us? Yet you have made Him just a little lower than the heavenly beings, angels, and crowned Him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the, world, over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This is just the opening here. The opening of this is to the church of Pergamum, to the, this, to the one who has power in his mouth. All power is, is, is given to him. Let's look at what's next in the text here. I know, you're, I know where you dwell. I know where you live. Where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. And you do not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas. My faithful witness. Who was killed among you. Where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who have taught Balak. To put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat the food, sacrifice the idols, and practice sexual morality. So you also have some who hold fast to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent; if not, I will come and I will come soon and make war against you with the sword of my mouth. So God opens the text, and this is the one who I have ultimate power with my mouth. And he said, if you don't, I'm gonna, here's some things I've got against you and we're going to unpack that. But then he says, the power of my mouth, I'll come and make war on you. He who has ears, let him hear the spirit who says these things to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him the white, a white stone with his name written on that stone. And no one knows except for the one who receives it. I, 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 he said, listen, The first thing he says is, I understand I'm, I understand where you are You dwell where the devil's throne is But you held fast to the name And not denied the faith They were in the midst of False religion They were the epicenter of false religion Everywhere It was running rampant He says I know where you dwell The throne of Satan is there this city was ground zero, ground zero for demonic activities. There was a variety of issues there. Every major deity had a temple in Pergamum. Every major deity had a temple. This was a, the religious epicenter of this area. Every major temple there. One of the biggest ones was to Zeus, um, the, the king of the gods. He was the big one. And there was temples there to him. People would lay, lay homage and, and worship. And there was one to Dionysus, the god of wine and revelry. And and sexual exploitation. So you can just imagine what was going on there. Temple prostitution. People giving money and, and other things for that kind of stuff. History tells us there was an intense... like, In this one temple, history shows us and tells us that there was an, such intense drunkenness and revelry... That in the midst of these giant orgies that they would have, that they would end up sacrificing human beings in the midst of this worship. So they would end up killing a person. So this, I mean, this place was insane. It was like Vegas on steroids. You know what happens in what happens in Pergamum stays in Pergamum. That was pretty much their their probably their motto. Um, if you were sick, you could go to another the other temple of. Um, Ask Peleus, the god of healing. And the ultimate temple, one of the ultimate temples there was to Caesar because it was a Roman province. So you you went and you gave homage and you would worship Caesar. You would pay your tithe or your tax to Rome there. You would worship him. And this was the temperature in Pergamum. This was the, the church and the Christians had to deal with all of this in this place. Uh, You notice where it says here that uh, in the text, but I, uh, let's see here to my faithful witness, Antipas, Antipas was the pastor of this church. He was killed. Uh, history shows us that he was actually potentially burned alive inside of a gold calf. That's insane to me, but they took this pastor and they burned him inside of a golden calf. um, It it was quite the place. Not only did they have false religions, but they had people who were mixing Christianity with the things of the world, Balaam. Uh, Balaam was an evil man who wanted to to curse the Israelite people by mixing the things of the world and the things of God. And and people brought that into the church. They were inside of this church at Pergamum. They were mixing the things of the world and the things of God. They were worshiping idols and, and saying it's okay to mix it with the worship of sovereign King Jesus. And so you got that group that was doing that, uh, this this group of Balaam, and then the same idea for the church or the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This was something that was not only happening in Pergamum, but it was also happening in Ephesus, the first church we talked about. Remember, they said he said this. Um, yet you you hate you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So there was a little bit like that. The church of Ephesus understood that. And they said, well, we're going to try to distance ourselves from that kind of stuff. But you look at this church in Pergamum. And they were very active in mixing the two. They were mixing the two. This is the teachings that they were doing. And they had people in their churches that were involved in this kind of stuff. Mixing the things of the world with the things of God. And calling it Christ-centered worship. As we have people in the church, even today, that are mixing the things of the world with the things of God, and they call it good. And if you call these things out, which I'm, going to fix, I'm fixing to call some of these out, where we're mixing the stuff of the world with the things of God and saying it's good. And if you, as a person of faith, say that these things are wrong, you're maligned. Back to the idea of last week, remember the church that, was, that, that suffered and was maligned in Smyrna? When you stand up for biblical truth, you're maligned. And so you've got the mixture of the, the, the worship of the world and the worship of Christ mixed together. You've got things like Christian yoga, which I just, the Christian yoga to me is just insane because yoga itself is the worship, it's a Hindu worship. But well, Pastor, that's not what it means to me. Right, right? That's, and that's what, you have that mentality where you say, you're, you're giving, you're, giving a, you're opening the door to... Satan, when you open the door to these kinds of ideas and yoga, it's clear your mind. Get in these particular positions and clear your mind. It is the worship of the Hindu God. And you're mixing that with the things of Jesus. And God says, I hate this. I hate it when you mix the worship of the world with the worship of God. He does not like this. What does he say? He goes, I have this against you, and if you don't repent of this, I'll come and wage war on you with the sword of my mouth. So we've got Christian churches who have classes. in, my, Like the town where I live, they have classes that do Christian yoga, and they do all these things, and they do the downward dog pose, and they do all these different things, and they're mixing the things of the world and the things of Jesus, and it is a form of idolatry. Uh, another big one right now in the church is the Enneagram. Do some study on the Enneagram. It, like, we, we push it out as a personality test right now. Everybody's like, oh, it's just a personality. Like, there are entire Sunday school classes that are dedicated to studying the Enneagram. And it is a, I mean, it's huge right now inside the church. And if you look at the origins of the Enneagram, it actually has its roots in the occult. And if you look at the diagram itself, it just looks satanic. Like the, 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 the diagram of the Enneagram, or what are you, a seven? Or are you a three? Or are you a four? What are you? So they, they, they push it out as a personality test, but the roots of it root in the occult. So why in the world would we as Christians, like we this is what is crazy, is we've got the answer right in front of us. We don't have to look to the Enneagram or to yoga or all these. You've got, we don't need to add anything to this. We don't have to add. like That's the one thing. Listen, This is the one thing that, that, that God says in the very last part of the book. He says if you add anything. If anyone who hears these words, the prophecies, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from this book for the prophecy of God, I will take away his share in the true in the tree of life, the holy city, which is described in this book. So we've got people that are trying to add to, like we don't need to add to this book. God's word can stand on its own. We don't need a little helper book. We don't need a helper literature. God's word stands on its own, amen? It it stands on its own. Why would we wanna take part in things like this? Because we're, here's the thing, we're searching for meaning. And this is what we have to do is, in order to find meaning in God's word, We can't just uh, pull up or derive or figure out the Word of God without the Holy Spirit first teaching it to us. And so this is where we have to come in humbleness and repentance and ask God to reveal His Word to us. And God will do that. But you've got to repent first. You've got to repent of this thing. For all of our modern sophistication and technology, we're still just as deceived as people back in this day we've got all our books we've got all our phones we've got all our computers we've got all our stuff but when we're we're deceived by some of the most basic kinds of things false worship false ideology this is the kind of stuff that happens this is the kind of stuff that happens in the church when Jesus is not made preeminent when Christ is made preeminent that that is when things change that's when things look different and Jesus said, if you don't repent, I mean, I just, I read this text and he says, if you don't repent, there, I mean, it was a mixture of Balaam and, and, and the Nicolaitans that had, it had eating idol food that was offered to idols, false idols. They could eat that to barbecue it because it was cheaper. You could get, you could get cheaper food that was, worth, that was given to the idols and you could eat that, but there was, it was a stumbling block for many. So he said, don't, you're, you're, you're giving in to these things. Don't do this. You're, not only that, you're, you're, you're worshiping the, these idols and you're practicing sexual immorality. I don't know what it is about these temples where they just wanted to mix all this stuff together. They wanted to mix the, the two of these things together. And If you look at any major cult or any kind of um, major false religion, that is a huge thing that happens that they mix sexual immorality with the worship. Uh, there's, a, there's a documentary out on Netflix um, called Wild Wild Country. Weird, weird thing that happened in the 80s. Uh, 70s and 80s there was a cult that happened up, uh, up in Montana and they were, they were looking for this enlightenment and they were looking for more, more enlightenment and this one guy was the guy that could enlighten it and he was the but a part of that was just these giant wild sexual sexual, sexual exploitations. God said, listen, if you don't repent of this, if you don't repent of mixing the things of the world and the things of me, if if you're trying to participate in mixing the things of God and the things of this world, if you don't repent of this, what's going to happen? If you don't repent, I will come soon and I will wage war on them with the sword of my mouth. So God says, "I will come and by the power of my own word, I will wage war on you. I, I'm a, I'll wage war on you for what you do here. If you, if you don't if you ha- come in half-heartedly and you want to mix this in, I'll use my own word and I'll wage war on you. I'll wage war. He who has ears let him hear. Like I want you to think about that. Like God just says, I'll wage war on you with my mouth. I'll take you out. And the word of God tells us that by just just one single word, the enemy is defeated over and over again. When Jesus interacted with demons, none of them said, you know what, we're going to contend with this. They just said, please don't say the word. Don't say that word. Could you just give us mercy? Put us into those pigs. Don't do it. Don't. It's not time yet. Please Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Give us mercy, give us, put us into those herd of pigs. God says, I'm gonna, if you don't repent, I'll make war on you. And if you, in this place today, are mixing the things of the world and the things of God, and you're just half-hearted, you, you were, you'll see in, in uh, with the church of Sardis, you'll see that here in a couple weeks, where they, had, they were halfway, they had one foot in the kingdom of God, and one foot in the den of Satan, and God said, man, you make me sick. You make me sick. But he says those who do repent. Those who do repent. Look what happens. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, this is the one who repents, the one who overcomes. I will give him hidden manna. I'll give him hidden manna. I love... This idea is just uh, Israel received manna that God promised to give to true believers. God gave these, this manna to Israel. And it was, a, it was a hidden manna that for those that only were part of the believing group. That was it. And then the next part of that, he says, I'll give you a stone. Athletes, athletes were given a prize of a, of, for winning races... Athletes were given typically these white stones as a prize. And God says, I, I, he's using this analogy, I'll give you a white stone with a new name written on it. See, this is the beautiful thing about this. Satan, he gives his followers a number. But God gives you a name. He calls you by a name. How many of you guys love it? When you, number 42... Number 67. Oh, you like that one? That's what I love about Chick-fil-A. They're like, are you Caleb? I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> they don't give you a number, Chick-fil-A, they give you a name. What's your name? Well, my name's Caleb. I don't know. It says he's gonna give me a new name. I don't know what my new name's gonna be. That's what it says. But the one who conquers, I'll, I'll give him a new name. Written in a stone, written, written, written on that white stone. That no one. Knows, except for the one who receives it I, I, I don't know what that name is but God's going to give if I conquer if you repent if you live in repentance and you make war on this you say okay I'm no longer going to follow the things of the world and mix the things of the world with the things of, of God I'm going to follow Christ supremely and, and completely God says I'm going to give you hidden manna and I'm going to put your name on a white stone and it's going to be in you win you conquer that's what you get Jesus says "He goes; these things go to those who repent. The eternal prize. These athletes ran the race to get that temporary white stone as a gift and, and a prize. But those who conquer get an eternal prize of life everlasting in the kingdom of God for those who repent and follow and love Jesus. That, that's... That's the, beautiful, that's the beautiful message of the God we serve. Yes, sin is dark. But God's grace is bigger than, than your sin. And the thing that holds you back from the genuine relationship and the genuine forgiveness of God in the midst of all of this is what? Repentance. If you don't repent, I'll make war on you. Here's the thing. If you're holding sin in your heart, if you're here today and you're holding sin in your heart, regardless of what the sin is, bitterness, anger, sexual immorality, pain, anger, whatever it is that you've got that's that's unforgiveness, that's that's rolling through your life today, here's here's what I can promise you. If you don't repent, God has made a promise that He will come and He will wage war on you who do not repent. But those who repent, what will happen? Those who repent will be given manna and a prize for all eternity. It's sitting right in front of you today. 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, that He, Jesus Christ, is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Not just some of it, but all of it. This is the, this is the gift that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he's offering hope to those who have none. He's offering grace to those who have not been given grace. He's offering grace to those who deserve judgment. He gives a warning. He says, this is what, this is what can happen. I can come and make war, or I can give you a prize. What do you? What, what's, what's the determination here? You've got a decision to make. One or the other. It's either repent and find God's favor and God's grace. Or it's, I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to, I don't need, I can worship any way I want to worship. I can do whatever I want to do. That happened in the Old Testament with Nadab and Abihu. The sons of um, Abraham, they came and they, they, they wanted to, they thought that they could be the The prince. Or they, they thought they could be the prophets of that day, and they took the incense burner, and they went into the incense burner, and they um, they laid out the censer before God in the Holy of Holies, and God killed them. They wanted to worship their own way. God had prescribed how worship should be done, said this is how you should follow, this is what you should do, and they said, nah, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to do it my way, because... what." Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Right? He did it his way alright. I've been watching a documentary on Frank. He did do it his way. Man, I'm... Mm. When you do it your way, you don't follow Christ's prescription, He will make war on you. I don't like that, Caleb. I, I, I can't help that. I'm not in charge. I'm just the newspaper boy with the headline says, Here's the news. Repent, or God makes war on you. That's the that's 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 it. That's your two options. Oh, I want door number three. There's not a door number three. <laughs> this isn't a a game show where we get a door number three. You got door one or door two. Back to what I said earlier. Why would we want to engage in anything else? Why would we want to pursue anything else other than Jesus and what He has for you? Jesus is a good Father who has the best intentions and the best. Plans and the best gifts that He could give it to any of us as children, but that yet there's still some that are like, "Nah, not me. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to push this out. I'm going to worship God with Christian yoga. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to have a Sunday school class with my Enneagram group. Why would you want to mix the things of the world with the things of God? Run from that stuff and follow the Bible. Like I said last week, if we've got any, any doctrine outside of the Bible, we need to get rid of it. Because a lot of people say, "Well, oh, Caleb, you're one of them old narrow-minded, stingy Baptists. No. I, I want to throw it. If, if I've got Baptist doctrine, I want to throw it out this window and replace it with Bible doctrine. If I've got Methodist doctrine, Episcopalian, Presbyterian any of those doctrines, I want to throw them out of the window and I want to replace them with the Bible because at the end of the day we stand on God's word, not on the Baptist faith and method message. Amen? This is the hope that we stand on is God's word. This is what it, that's what it means when you hear the word sola scriptura. That means scripture alone is the tool that we use. I don't need an extra book to show me anything about God. I've got God's word.